Turn now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now it happened on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him and spoke to him, saying, Tell me, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? But he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Lord God in heaven, we consider the record of this insolence and impertinence and rebellion. And Lord, it is a blot against the history of mankind that those who were entrusted, indeed with your own holy temple, those who were entrusted to be the teachers of your people, would go about in such willful disobedience and unbelief as not to receive, but rather to question in the face of every legitimate evidence the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Heavenly Father, how we pray that his authority would not be questioned among us today, but rather, Heavenly Father, that we'd receive his words as the very words from heaven as they are, knowing, Lord, that he has received all authority from heaven. And has it here on earth to speak to us. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon this preaching and reception of your own word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We come now to Luke chapter 20. And we are in what is sometimes called Holy Week. The week in which Jesus will lay down his life on the cross. On that Friday. It is more than likely Tuesday. It is after the triumphal entry and after the most recent cleansing of the temple. And of course, we know that these religious leaders were absolutely seething with murderous rage against the Lord. They have been, in the words of the previous chapter, verse 47, they have been seeking to destroy him, but they were unable to do anything. For all the people were very attentive to hear him. Now that little fact was mentioned, of course, last time. But that little fact that, that the people, all the people, were very attentive to hear them, that is crucial. Because in the providence of God, these so-called leaders were beholden to popular opinion. And they feared to do anything too much against this popular opinion. They cannot just kill Jesus without causing a rebellion or otherwise completely undermining their own situation. So they have to do something else, right? They, they can't act directly against the, the Lord Jesus because the people will stone them. What can they do then? Well, they can try to undermine his authority in standing before the people, in the, in the eyes of the people. And that's apparently then what they're trying to do here. That seems to be the motive of what we have in our text. 
which is instead of trying to destroy him in some open way, they're trying to poke holes in his authority before the people. So they question him concerning his authority. Now, authority just happens to be something of a theme in the Gospel of Luke. That word is is mentioned twice the number of times as any other gospel in Luke. And his authority has been something that has been building from the very beginning. Actually, on numerous occasions, we have, have seen that in the course of this series. And we'll have mentioned to recall it here. But let me also say that it features an Acts. And Lord willing, as we carry on in that direction, maybe we'll also see more of the authority that God gives to his servants. But let me say then, if authority is this great theme in both Acts, uh, Luke and Acts, it is a crucial question for us today. Because in our own day, I hope I don't need to say that people are not so good on receiving legitimate authority. Actually, they seem to continually question and rebel against all rightful authority. That seems to be the spirit of our age. And if that is so, then then we need to be very clear about the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you the title of this sermon, which is Christ Has Authority from Heaven. Christ really does have authority from heaven. So these three points in. First, the pointless question. Secondly, the witness of John. And third, willful unbelief. The pointless question, the witness of John, and willful unbelief. Now, we begin with the pointless question in verse 1. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him and spoke to him, saying, Tell me, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? Now, as we said, we already know what their motive is. But was there any room at all? Was there any kind of openness to question thus far? Had they just not been able to see enough? Was there some legitimacy at all to the question that they were asking? And the answer is no. Way back in Luke 4.32, you remember that they were astonished at his teaching. For why? Why were they so astonished by his teaching? Because his word was with authority. His word itself came with its own self-attesting authority, which everyone who, who had any eyes to see could see. Jesus rebuked him, saying, speaking of the demon, be quiet and come out of him. That's authority. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Couldn't do so because Jesus had the authority to make sure of that. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. This Authority is no secret. He has authority even to the denizens of hell to command them to come out of people and everyone knows it. Why, even the Gentile centurion knows the authority of Jesus. In Luke 7, 8, the Gentile centurion, for I also, he says, am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. He comes to Jesus, he encounters this one, and he knows as one who should know that this man has authority, real and legitimate authority. 
Jesus has so much divine authority, he can give it to his disciples. These disciples aren't very much, you know. These disciples are not exactly the cream of the crop. But they have that same kind of authority to go around preaching, to casting out demons and healing, because Jesus, their master, has given it to them. In Luke 9, 1, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. It's way back in Luke 9. Now, these people were nothing in themselves, but so great was the authority of the Lord Jesus that he is able to command them in such a way. Now, more than that, more than that, that's not the, the only testimony that was available to these religious leaders. Yes, it was the word of God that came with his own testimony and own authority, and it was the miracles, the works. Jesus says, look, if you don't believe my word, at least believe my works. These works are completely without any ability to rightly question them. You should know who I am because I have this attestation of my divine authority by the works that I perform. But more than that, they have the words of Luke 3.21. And when all the people were baptized, this is in the Jordan. It came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice from heaven came which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. You understand that this was not some private event. It was not a gathering the size of the people of this church. All of Judea and all of Jerusalem had gone out to, to the baptism of John. Even representatives of the rulers, as we're going to see, were there to see it. And there was a voice from heaven. There was a form, a bodily form, like a dove. You are my beloved son. A voice from heaven. And you, I am well pleased. Now that should have settled the matter forever. Of course it didn't. We know, in fact, later on the Pharisees were going to ask, show us a sign from heaven and we'll believe. They already had a sign from heaven and they didn't believe. It's not a legitimate question. What they had asked, tell me about your authority, where did it come from, who gave you this authority? It was an absolutely pointless question and it was impertinent as well that brings us to our second point the witness of John we've already said a little bit about it but as he often does after he was asked this question Jesus answers a fool according to his folly if they want to ask questions of him that they already know the answers to because they did Jesus will also ask them such a question But he answered and said to them, I will also will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Straightforward question. Now, I will say this. Jesus could have asked, oh, you want to ask me about my authority? Well, let me ask you about your authority. You guys, you chief priests and you scribes and and you so forth, did it come from heaven or from men, your authority? Because keep in mind that this delegation is not just of the religious leaders in some generic sense. Actually, the text very, very carefully states this. The chief priest and the scribes together with the elders. Do you know what that means? That's the Sanhedrin. That is the absolute definition of the constituent parts of the Sanhedrin, the official ruling body religiously of the Jews. Now, the question is, who gave the authority and legitimacy to the Sanhedrin? 
who actually had the power ultimately to approve these appointments of the high priests. Do you know who it was? Why, the occupying Gentile Roman government. That's who it was. And so a rather inconvenient truth in itself as to where they got their authority from. But actually beyond that, you don't even have to go there. So these pagan Romans are the ones who have given you authority, huh? It's beyond that, though, because we know that in the temptations of Christ in the desert, Satan comes and says, he shows them all that he goes to the temple, doesn't he? Goes up to the temple. And he says, look, all this power and authority I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. It's in my hand to give to whom I wish to give. Now, who actually was exercising authority over that temple? Why was them? Where did they get it from? It must have been from Satan, huh? Because he's plainly said that I have the power to give that into whom I will. Well, he could have asked these questions. He could have exposed the reality of their own source of authority, but he doesn't. Rather, he asks a very a different question. Again, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? Now, please don't think that that's some sort of red herring or evasion. Because actually, this is the most relevant, the most pertinent question that Jesus could pose to them in this way. Because all they had to do was to put the logical pieces together... Two and two, and they would come to the correct conclusion, absolutely, that Jesus' authority was absolutely from heaven. Because, first of all, the baptism of John was pretty much universally received as from heaven itself, right? Matthew 3, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. About as universal a statement as you want to make. Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized. And now, let me just say, it's not just the regular population because eventually the religious leaders have to go along with a program because everyone else is embracing this and they realize that they're in danger of losing their own authority in the sight of the people if they do not get on board in some way. So they do, right? And so that explains why John the Baptist, when he receives these Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him for baptism, that explains why he's skeptical about their motivations. Because in the very next verse, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. He say, John, these are repentant sinners. How can you be so mean to them? No, they're not. No, they're not. They're just doing what is politically expedient at this point to give their affirmation. Yes, we're part of this movement as well. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. If you really repented, let's bear fruits worthy of that. John could see through their outward actions, knew that this was political expediency. But the point is, whether they really believed it or not, So far from being able to challenge John's authority in the eyes of the people, they had in the end accepted it themselves. At least publicly, at least outwardly, they had put their own stamp of approval on it. Okay, so now that's in place. The baptism of John, everyone knows it's from heaven. Even we, grudgingly, against our will, had to admit as much publicly. Now what else is true of John? Why, it's the very purpose for which he came. And what was the purpose? 
John 1 in the prologue, John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That was the very purpose of it. And that is exactly what he did. He bore witness to the Son of God. And there in the John chapter 1, down towards the bottom, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. There he is, everyone. Behold, the Lamb of God. This is he of whom I said, after he comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he might be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. Is it a a dove descending from heaven? The one who sent John, the, the, the very authority from God himself from heaven who sent John saying, I tell you, this is a son of God. And I tell you, you should bear witness to that to all who will listen to you. His authority is from heaven. John was a true prophet. Everyone knew it. And the great point of his prophetic ministry was to testify to the Lord in the clearest way imaginable. And you know what? What is more, they knew it. They knew these things were true. Because in verse 5, they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John, they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Well, they're condemned by their own testimony. These things are absolutely true. The people were convinced that John was a true prophet because he was. And John bore witness that Jesus' authority was from heaven. This is the testimony, the witness of John. And they are condemned even by their own reasoning. Well, thirdly, unfortunately, as we see these things, they've rightly figured out what Jesus' point was. It was very straightforward. They respond, thirdly, in willful unbelief. Verse 7, so they answered and said that we do not know where it was from. They can't say it was from earth because they don't want to get stoned. They can't say it's from heaven because then they're forced to believe and obey Jesus and to put their own affirmation on him even more than they were forced to do so thus far. And so they had to say something else. And you know what they did? They lied. They say, we don't know you. Yes, they do. They, they did know, and they lie. It is a lie that is born from willful unbelief. And let me tell you, this happens today all over the world. People, and particularly these uh, atheists and these secularists, are, are coming to us and saying that I, I'll, you know, what I just don't think that this this God of yours is is proven. If you were to show me evidence, if I had any evidence whatsoever for the existence of God, I would believe. 
And sometimes we're taken in by that when we, we say, oh, oh, okay, well, let me scrape around and find some evidence to show to you because, you, oh, well, poor you, you don't have any evidence. Well, look, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we don't have some, there's not some place for apologetics to point out to people the reality of the truth. But I want to tell you that this spirit of unbelief is among us today, and it is not because people don't have any evidence. It's because they don't want to believe the evidence that is before them. That is precisely the point of Romans chapter 1. That they take what they see even in creation. God has revealed himself truly in the very creation of this world, in the very existence and nature and workings of this physical universe. And you know what they do with it? Somehow they twist it in their twisted minds to end up being proof against God. How can you take something that is evidence that God has intended to be evidence for his existence and supreme power and wisdom and turn it to be evidence against God? Well, the same way that you can turn and twist the, the words and the works of the Lord Jesus Christ to somehow come to the conclusion that he has no legitimate authority. Hendrickson says, Christ's opponents failed to see the truth because they hardened themselves against it. Maybe we'll see that again tonight of someone else who had all the testimony he could take, all the testimony, all the witness and evidence that he could handle, and his people even telling him, this, this is the finger of God. And yet he hardens his heart against it. They can say that there's no evidence. They can say that they don't know But we don't have to believe them because it's born of willful unbelief. So Jesus, of course, he never had to answer their question. He had made a deal with them. He said that if they answered his question, he would answer theirs. But since they didn't, well, he didn't because he's a sovereign Lord. He doesn't have to talk to them. He doesn't have to answer their impertinent and pointless questions. Why should he? They've not listened to any other testimony available to them in all these years of his ministry and all the other testimony. They could have listened to the testimony of the prophets. We haven't even gotten there. They claim to know the truth. These scribes claim to know the word of God inside and out. And these are the very things which God had provided so that when his Messiah came, that he would be received in truth for who he was. They didn't listen to it. They didn't listen to any of it. And so he's not going to talk to them. He's not going to talk to them anymore except to provide them with this very damning parable that we shall discuss next time. This parable then, beginning in verse 9, when he says, A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vineyards, and went into a far country for a long time. And we'll see what he has to say about those leaders of the vineyard of Israel. Well, we see that there was no doubt that Christ has authority from heaven. To question it was pointless. It was contrary to everything, but particularly to the witness of John, which they, even against their will, had to admit. And yet they responded in willful unbelief to the reality of the authority of Jesus. And again, as I've already suggested, I want you to understand that unbelief does not come from lack of evidence. It comes from unbelief. You understand? I know it's a tautology, but that's the way it is. We want to say that our unbelief has some other excuse. You know why? Because everyone wants to excuse their sin. 
Now look, unbelief is not the only sin. Again, that's an error to imagine that there is no sin except for unbelief. No. Those who go to hell will absolutely be paying for all of their sins, every one of the Ten Commandments and every one of the implications of those commandments. But on top of that, if they've heard the gospel, surely unbelief is added to those sins. And I hope that we understand in our human experience we have come across those who have clearly sinned against God and sometimes we see them making excuses for that, trying to defend their actions in the sight of other people. That's what happens when people come and they say, I would believe if only there were a sign from heaven. If only God would make himself clear. Because he absolutely hasn't made himself clear. This is, is, is like a man who is standing in a, a room that is full of, of signs on every single wall declaring a, a, a particular truth. And he has closed his eyes to it and saying, if only I knew If only I had a sign on the wall somewhere to tell me what to do. God has revealed himself in nature. He's revealed himself from heaven. He's revealed himself in his prophets. He's revealed himself throughout all the Old Testament. He's revealed himself supremely in Christ in all of his words and works. The testimony of John and supremely the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which not even his worst enemies could begin to refute. And those who refuse to receive this testimony only condemn themselves. It's not from lack of evidence. But let me now go on to make some applications in the positive side that Jesus really does have authority from heaven. Is that useful? Is that important? Is that significant for you and I? And I think it absolutely is. Because secondly, what that means if it's true, and we know it's true, is that Jesus has authority to save us. Look, if Jesus only had authority from men, that was the question. Where is this authority coming from? As Jesus then says, what about John? If Jesus only had authority from men, where would that leave us in terms of our salvation? Well, not in a good place. Because our problem, you see, is not with men. If Jesus only had authority with men, he could only deal with problems concerning men. And maybe we do. But that's not our our main problem. Whatever problems we have in this world, that is absolutely nothing compared to our real problem, which is not with men, not with this world. Our real problem is that we are sinners before a holy and just God. And that problem, my friends, that problem is so severe, that problem is so deep, that no one who has authority only from men can possibly deal with it. You have to find someone who has authority from heaven and great authority in heaven, authority to settle matters on behalf of the triune God. And Jesus had that authority. And Jesus did. You see, he was just the one that Job said, Oh, if only, if only there were someone who could, a mediator, who could lay his hand on both of us, meaning myself and on the living God. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ was. He was the mediator, the only mediator between man and God. And he laid his hand on both of us and interceded on our behalf because he had that authority. Who would dare? Who would dare to put his hand on God except the one who was God, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's exactly what he did. So he has authority to save us and praise God. He does. 
Thirdly, he also has authority to teach us. He has authority to save us, but beyond that, he has the authority to teach us. Look, we, we, as I mentioned at the beginning, we live in an age that perhaps more so than has any, ever been in the whole history of the world re- rejects all legitimate authority. People absolutely hate authority. There, there once was a movie, Rebel Without a Cause, and that was a sensation. That was something new. But you know what? It was a harbinger of, of a whole movement. And that movement has not stopped. It continues to go on to its logical conclusion as one generation gives way to another and the, the radical sort of uh, agenda of one generation becomes the, the absolutely unchallenged assumptions of the next. And all legitimate authority comes under question. But brothers and sisters, if you are Christ, if you are a Christian, you must not fall into line with that spirit of the age. When you encounter Christ as your Savior, you also encounter him as your Lord, and he has the authority to tell you what to do. And me, all of us, of course. This is the, th- the authority that even the people there who probably didn't even believe said, Wow, look at this authority by which he teaches us. How much more than those who cling to him in, in faith for salvation, how much more should we also receive his teaching and authority to tell us what to do. You know what he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we need to hear that, don't we? Because the world and the flesh and the devil are all telling us to rebel against the word of God and nothing's going to happen and it doesn't matter and it's no problem. Jesus Christ who has authority, who himself did not dare to transgress the law of God, but kept it perfectly all the days of his life, he comes and says, be holy as I am holy. He comes and says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you have received me as Savior, you must receive me as Lord. This Savior, he has so much authority. He certainly has authority to teach us. And fourthly and finally, he also has authority to send us. Need I remind us of Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen? And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, "What? The first thing he mentions: All authority has been given to me in heaven on, and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you." You see, it's on the basis of his authority. It's on that basis which he gets to tell us what to do, but it's on that basis by which he gives us this wonderful commission to go into the world and to tell people this wonderful news. It's a great thing about Christ's authority. He's not using it now to destroy or to judge. He's using this authority of his actually to go out and and to bring as many people as the Father has given to him, as many people as indeed will come to faith. These people he is bringing in order that they might be saved. And he's saying, look, you, 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 the church of God, I'm giving you authority to go make disciples of all the nations. And yes, part of that authority is to teach them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. But because he has this authority, we know that the mission will work. We know That all of God's people, all the ones for whom Christ died, they will certainly come to faith. 
We have a surety of the success of our mission because Christ has all authority. It's not from men. It's not from self. He has this authority from heaven. It's been given to him. And we can go forth in confidence in all the things, in fact, all the things that God has called us to do, in the greatest of confidences, knowing that if we are on the errand of Christ, that we cannot fail, not ultimately, not finally. And we should glorify God. And Christ truly has all this authority. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we are ashamed that any representative of the human race ever dare to question the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ even at the end of his earthly ministry in which every testimony that could possibly be conceived had demonstrated beyond any shadow of any reasonable doubt that he was precisely he whom he claimed to be. He was the Son of God. He was the Lamb of God, come to take away the sins of the world. Lord God in heaven, how we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that we would recognize, yes, with our minds, but receive in our, our hearts, rejoice and embrace that Jesus Christ has all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that this would be good news to us, knowing, Lord, that any lesser authority could never save us. Lord, in that he has this great authority, then even the very worst can come to him. Even those who are in the greatest of troubles can come and be saved. And, Lord, our greatest trouble is, is nothing on earth, but in that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. Lord, we give you thanks for the blessed authority, the supreme authority of Christ. We pray that not only would we believe in him for our salvation, but what is more, that we would receive his great authority to govern our lives entirely, to give ourselves up completely to Christ and to his commandments. We pray that we would go, therefore, in the supreme confidence, as you call us, yes, as a church, principally to make disciples, but also, Lord, in all the things that you call us individually to do in the supreme confidence that having this great authority that we cannot fail and that you will be with us even to the end of the age. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.